0: So we are closing out our series on discipleship and closing out the kind of punctuation on that series, the High Priestly Prayer of John 17, where we've been the last couple weeks. The prayer of God Himself. The prayer of Jesus Himself for us, for His disciples. This study has, has been a, a bigger blessing to me than, than I was prepared for. Um, And it closes out in such a beautiful way. The prayer closes out in such a beautiful way. I was at Starbucks this morning just crying, worried that someone, are you okay, sir? Just moved by the truth of what Jesus is going to pray over us this morning. So turn to John 17 if you have your scriptures us be reminded that Jesus' prayer is a declaration, it's a promise, it's a guaranteed future for us, His disciples. These are not Jesus' wishes, these are Jesus' promises over us. These things will happen. They are true, and not just true, they are truth, because Jesus is truth. These words don't measure up as being true These words are truth. Jesus is truth. Jesus himself is the measure of truth itself. And and here's a summary of all of the verses that we've studied so far. Here's the summary of it. Jesus knows who are his and he will lose none of them. Jesus knows who are His and He will lose none of them. You can turn to John 6, flip back just a few pages and look in John 6, starting in verse 37. It's uh, towards the end of, um, actually kind of right in the middle of this powerful uh, exchange that Jesus has with people who are following Him. and. He fed them the bread of life and they were so confused as we all are. We like the trinkets. We like the tangible. We like our tummies being full. And Jesus is just coming off of, of imploring these people, look, you don't understand. I am the bread. I am the substance. I am life. I am fulfillment. You, you must find that in me. So Jesus says in, in John 6, we pick up in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will Come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. If you live in fear of God rejecting you, sure, you had a good run for a little while. You were dialed in. You were in the Scriptures. You were part of a church. You were giving. But man, lately... But man, how could I, after all of that goodness, after all of that grace, how could I then turn my back on Jesus? How could I then do this? If you live in fear that Jesus is going to somehow reject you, oh, you were doing so good for so long, look what you did. Ah. Cast that fear into hell where it belongs. Jesus says that all who the Father gives Him will come to Him and He will will not lose them. He will never cast them out. For I have come down, verse 38 says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life and I will raise Him up on the last day. Do you look on the Son and believe in Him? Yes. Then walk in confidence, in victory. You will be risen on the last day. It will happen. So... The verse, 20 verses of John 17 are very much a summary or exposition. Beautiful prayer of Jesus echoing those same words. That the Father has given him this amazing gift. The amazing gift of these wretched, poor, helpless, dead creatures that then Jesus took and treated as such precious To him, that he was willing to die for them. And and in that willingness for Jesus to die for them, they're raised to new life and they're made pure and spotless. They're made radiant. They're made beautiful. We are made radiant. We are made beautiful. We did not, we were not given to Jesus because we were lovely. We are lovely because we were given to Jesus and he took what was given to him and and he has risen us up. Our, Our spirit is now risen with him. Our bodies are lagging behind just like this earth is lagging behind, but Jesus will return and He will catch us up with Him and He will unite this perfected body with this redeemed spirit and we will live with Him forever. Jesus will lose none of what the Father has given Him. So Let's pick up in verse 20. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This is how we can know that this prayer is not just for Jesus' immediate disciples right there in his company. This is not just for them. Jesus is saying, not just for these only, Father, but for all those who will come to believe in me through their word. Through whose word? Through the disciples' word. Jesus is saying, these disciples of mine are going to share Who I am with the world. They are going to give testimony to who I am. These disciples of mine that are right in front of my presence right now, they will give testimony of who I am and who you are, what I came to do, what I accomplished, what I won, what I have given them, the victory that they walk, the hope that they have, the life that they are living, the breath that they're breathing. They're going to give testimony to my goodness, Father. And through that testimony, more will come to my feet. More will be brought to my feet. I will raise more and more and more and more your kingdom will continue to grow and grow and grow what Jesus is referring to in verse 20 is the unbroken march of the way truth and life of Christ and his disciples the kingdom of God has never shrunken back the kingdom of God has never retreated the kingdom of God has never lost ground not once I forgot his name I meant to write it down but I didn't think I'd forget it but I did Leader of China, China, spoke in the national newspaper in the mid-60s. The God is Dead movement was happening in the West at the same time. And he declared emphatically that Christianity was done, was summarily wiped out in the nation of China. I mean, he declared that Christianity was over in China. If you come to Christ today, you are probably Chinese. A hundred million believers in China now. And that's just the ones that we can count. It's not including the ones that were underground, worshiping and and praising and serving. My favorite story about what happened and what transpired in China is the church, of course, began to raise back up, you know, after that, you know, declaration of victory in the mid-60s of the... the, the, of the um, dictatorial Chinese leadership over the Church of Jesus Christ, it's done for, right? Well, it, of course it. Seemed to rise back up no matter what they did. So they decided, you know what, we're, we're going we're gonna to make an example of the church. We're going to make an example of these ridiculous Christian pastors. And they gathered these Christian pastors up and they executed some to make a statement. And then the rest, they threw, uh, they threw some in prison. And then the rest, they left and they forced them to be, ooh, I know what we can do, we can shame them. We can force them to be garbage collectors. And in China, garbage men, they don't just drive around the truck and use the awesome robotic claw. Um, garbage men in China, in cities, they actually go into people's homes and remove the refuse from their homes to haul them off. So can you imagine? You're a Christian pastor. This happened in the mid-90s. You're a Christian pastor and, and this punishment was just thrown down on you. You shall now go into the homes of everyone in your city and you shall serve them. Okay. The church of Jesus Christ has never shrunken back. Never has. And it never will. Jesus proclaims it right now. I do not ask for these only, but for also those who will believe in me through their word. Will believe in me through their word. Go to Matthew uh, 16. Starting in verse 15. Um, Matthew 16, starting in 15. This is an exchange between um, Jesus and his followers, the little inner circle of disciples, and he's asking them, uh, who do people, what's the word what's the what on the street? What's the buzz on the street? Like, who do people say that I am? Starting in 13, we'll just start in 13. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Because see, there's, there's an awesome point there Jesus is making. It doesn't actually matter what everybody else says about me. What do you say? That's the question you have to answer. Who do you say Jesus is? Right? I mean, you've heard me say what I say Jesus is. Mike, Mike will say who Jesus is. Mara will say who Jesus is. But who do you say that Jesus is that's the question Jesus is asking them who do you say I am that's the question of all questions who do you say Jesus is Simon Peter replied in verse 16 you are the Christ the son of the living God it's called the good confession you are the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus answered him blessed are you Simon Barjona for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you so Simon is not just looking like look I've examined the facts I've done some research I've you know I did a pro con list I just you know cross references with the other you know fact you know and I've come to the conclusion logically that you are the Christ the son of the living God Jesus says no that's not how you come to this conclusion okay so flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven and I tell you you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it so we've been debating for 2,000 years what this actually means. The Catholics say, I was speaking about Jesus. It was speaking about Peter. Peter's the first pope. And upon the first pope, the church will be built. Okay, fine. You want to believe that? I'm okay with it. Other Protestants and part of the Reformation is like, no, it's not, it's not Peter. It's, it's the faith that is referred there. The faith that, that Peter exercises is the foundation of the church. You know what? It's both. It's yes. Because Jesus is looking at these disciples. And he's looking at the one who answered the question. And he's seeing a church will be built upon this group of people, upon Peter, a church will begin with them and will not stop ever for all of eternity. It will not stop. Once it starts, it cannot be stopped. This church of Jesus Christ has always grown. It's never shrunk back. I I mourn the loss of the church in America. I love the institution of the church. I love the idea of a moral people who are kind to their neighbor. It's a myth of us to to think, though, that, that at one point there was this golden United States of America where every single citizen was a disciple of Jesus Christ. The number of disciples of Jesus Christ in the world has always grown. The institution of the church seems to... I mean, we had the Holy Roman Empire for heaven's sake. It really was. for, Actually, it was more for earthly empire's sake. That was the problem. But disciples of Christ and the church of Christ began in that moment and has never stopped. It's never shrunk back. And we're a part of that. You know, in the time of prayer, I asked us, hey, let's lift up this church and and ask that God would, you know, have his will with, with this church. We know what God's will is for his church. I mean, even regardless of what happens to this congregation, like we know what God's will is for His church, and it will be accomplished. The church will continue to grow. Disciples will continually be made until Christ returns and establishes a perfect, holy, beautiful, peaceful, life-and-light-saturated kingdom with no darkness and no sin and no shame forever. That's... God's will for His church. And Jesus is declaring and He's praying. And I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word. Verse 21. That they may all be one, just as You, Father, are in Me and I in You, that they also may be in Us, so that the world may believe that You sent Me. Now, now this is, um, there's a lot in this. There's a lot of elements in this one verse, in this one line, this one moment of this prayer. So, in 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Okay, So why does Jesus why is Jesus lifting up not just these, but all those who would come? What's the purpose for that? Verse 21, that they may all be one. That's the purpose there, is that they may all be one. So He's praying for us that we all may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Uh, Oh gosh, I mean, each each word is so packed in this one verse. But this is what Jesus is saying. And the rest of Scripture, the rest of the New Testament echoes this. Actually, the rest of all of Scripture. You go back and you look at the, the, the founding and the growing of the nation of Israel, and it was just a model, it was just a type of what is to come. Right? And so it's all throughout Scripture that we are stones in this building that God is constructing. Okay God is building something you are a, a part of what He is building. Again my favorite analogy of that is you take a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, we are annual puzzlers or at least Mara and the rest of the family when we go on our beach vacation like, 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 like we, we go to this a beautiful home in this beautiful setting and we're around the kitchen table putting a puzzle together. I think I've got a cool way to save some money and still accomplish what it seems you want to accomplish <laughs> You take a jigsaw puzzle, thousand piecer, you know, hardcore, right? And it, it, I mean, it, it sure is confusing when it's just a mass of pieces, even when you can like, you know, see the pieces, you flip those bad boys over. Like the, I want to build just a thousand piece sheet of cardboard jigsaw puzzle. And picture on the box, is just a sheet of cardboard. And that's what you're putting the pieces together. It, they don't make any sense, right? One by one. Like your life might not really make any sense. You're like, okay, so I'm being used in a building that God is constructing. I must be like, I must be like the, the lime that's spread on the moist dirt in the sub-basement of God's building. Like what possible purpose could I serve in, 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 in being a part of, of anything that God is doing? Well, God is building something. We are building blocks in this. Build. I mean, and the scriptures use different analogies. You know, of course, we're the body. We've used that all throughout the discipleship series that we're a body and all of us have one part. Um, uh, Paul uh, talks in a different analogy in Ephesians 2. Uh, if you want to look there, you flip forward a, a, a little ways and you'll get to the, Paul's letter here um, to the Christians in Ephesus. So Ephesians 2, starting in uh, verse 19, he shares this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. See again that echo of like like Jesus established a church and it is continuing, not just with those disciples right there in Jesus' immediate company, but us us included, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Like that is what is being built here, like a dwelling place of God. So I mean, you think about it, you think of of this building, like we are in the building, the building is on us and we are in the building and like it's kind of like the building and us we're now like one all right like, like that's what God. I mean, that's what, that's what Jesus is 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 alluding to. This is what Paul is is using an analogy for. That we are like a building, and what God is building is a dwelling place for Him, a dwelling place for His presence. And and, and Jesus goes on in verse twenty one to say, so that the world may believe. So what's happening is we are being built up into this church, into this building, into this body, so that the world may believe. The abiding testimony of the church is the continuing. Cre- of God, go with me here still and always in our image what was the first thing that God created when he created, man, what is not up there <laughs> uh, I have no idea why that happened um, hold on a second yeah, isn't it? Oh, look at that lake um, one second yes, there's that My dad would be saying, See? See what it happens? What in the world? fails at time. No. All right, if it comes back, cool. you not. Cut this out of the recording, no one, no one else knows. <laughs> it's gonna be our little secret, they're not have a clue. I'm like, man, Tommy was on a roll, it's fantastic. It's like when you're on the subway in New York and you're stopping and you saying, Thank you for your patience. It's like, I'm not being patient, I don't have You're just gonna assume you're my patience. It's to be patient. Man. Thank you for it. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm just going to turn them off so we're not distracted. By it. Because I know if I just keep that water up there, you're just going to be looking at the beautiful water. Now, where was I? <laughs> so we are being built up as a body, as a temple, right? So that the world may believe. So Jesus is saying... Something is going to happen because of this building. This this building, this body, this church is going to accomplish something so that the world may believe. The abiding testimony of the church is the continuing creation of God. When God first made man, what did he say in Genesis? He said, let us make man in our own image. His original purpose for man was to image God. All of creation. Okay? So he builds everything. He builds galaxies and, and planets and moons and, and and sugar beets and aardvarks and human beings were the were the culmination of that creation. Okay? And, and that culmination of the creation, he says, okay, this is going to reflect me to the rest of it. This is the crowning achievement of creation. I'm gonna make, we're gonna make man in our image. We're gonna image God to the rest of the universe. Okay, We're going to image God to the rest of the universe. And, 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 and here, Jesus' um, reasoning in his, in, his, in his passionate kind of plea here, he says, So that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me. Picture he's painting, okay? Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What was true about God before he created man? So if man was created in God's image, what was God's image before man was created? Well, you know, um, scriptures show us, tell us, that there was the Father, there's the Son. And there's the Holy Spirit for an eternity. We call it eternity past, just to help us understand the ununderstandable. We call that eternity past. That for an eternity, it was God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity, and perfect harmony, and perfect presence, and perfect fellowship, and perfect love, and perfect communication. Right? Like for eternity. That's what they shared. And then they said, after they molded and crafted and, 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 and spoke and, and they made man, and they said, we're going to make man in our image. And what do you make? He made a man and he made a woman. And the scriptures say, they were naked and they felt no shame. So, so they were in perfect fellowship. They were in perfect relationship. They were in perfect love. They were in perfect communion with one another. No shame No guilt, no walls, no confusion. Just perfect fellowship. Perfect abiding. There's that word again. Perfect abiding love, one with the other. And then sin came in and destroyed it all. Broke it all. Broke relationship between God and man. Broke relationship between man and woman. And we've been thrashing around trying to solve that problem since that moment. And and God... In building His church where He implores us that we are to abide in Him. That we are abide with one another. That we are to hold each other accountable. We're supposed to lift up one another in prayer. We're supposed to outdo one another in love and good deeds. In, in laying down our lives. Uh, husbands for wives and wives for husbands. And brothers for other brothers. And sisters for other sisters. And brothers for other sisters. And sisters for other brothers. Like... What Jesus is saying is that our testimony, Father, is going to be another creation of yours. That original creation of man imaging us, the church is going to image us the same way. In perfect harmony, us with them and then with one another, that's going to be our testimony to the world is that unity, is that abiding with one another. The abiding testimony of the church is the continuing creation of God. Look what God can do. Because people who are alienated by sin, alienated from God, alienating from one another, like, like think of the, of the destructive force that shame is. In, in human relationships, right? In, in husbands and wives and in, in children and their parents, where they just, the just, those relationships are just soaked in secret shame. It's just, how can I hide this shame from them, right? How can I keep them from knowing everything about me? Because if they know everything about me, that all this is going to be ruined, and the other person is thinking and doing the same thing. How can I keep this shame from them? Right? So it's like this, this, this lifelong contest of how can I hide this secret shame? Basically, how can I be with someone but not really abide with them because if I tried to abide with them, I wouldn't have them. Like It just doesn't work. It's just broken outside of Christ. Only in Christ can we enjoy the, the purpose for our original creation, which is to fellowship with God, to fellowship with one another without sin and without shame. Jesus is saying the world can see that in the church. Now now you think about, how does the world describe the church of Jesus Christ? Did, I mean, is this the description that you hear? Man, I don't get it. I don't believe it. But man, do they love one another? Man, I don't get it. I don't believe it. But I wish I did. Because look at the life that they're living. With one another. With God. Look, look at Christian marriages. Look at Christians' relationships with their children. Look at Christians' relationships with their community. Look at Christians' relationships with one another. Like, I'm not one of those crazy people, but man, I wish I was crazy like that. Like, is that how the church of Jesus Christ is described? No. But yet, that is the prayer that Jesus is praying. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. That they may be one just as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me verse 22 the glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one that they may be one even as we are one I mean Jesus just won't let this go Like he's emphatic about this idea that we would be one as he and the Father is one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Everything that you dream would be true about the very presence of Christ should at least be tasted in the presence of the church. I mean, don't you f- just fantasize about just sitting across a table from Jesus himself. Like, what must that be like? And this is how I'd answer the question. This, this is how it would, be, it, would be, it would be like for me when I was thinking about it. When I, when I, when I would be in the presence of Jesus... I would be absolutely, positively, 100% accepted and loved and cherished and challenged. And I would somehow know that I can be who God created me to be in His presence, with Him. That can be true about me. Right? Everything that you imagine... It could be true in the presence of Jesus should at least be tasted in the presence of the church. If that's not your experience with the church, you haven't experienced the church. Maybe none of us ever have. I don't know. Maybe Jesus is just an idealist. Maybe he's just talking crazy. No way. This is Jesus' promise about what will be true about the church. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. And this is one of the craziest ands in scripture, and I missed it. I've missed it every single time until this morning. I've missed it. And loved them even as you loved me. Okay? No one. Is convinced of the of of the glory of someone's presence. Think about being in the presence of famous people or awesome people. You can't be convinced of the glory of like a flavor. I don't know if you guys are like foodies. I'm not. I just like stuff that's salty and tastes good. But like have you ever tasted? Have you ever tried? Or the glory of like a touch. No one's ever convinced the glory of of being in someone's presence, being touched in in that way, or or the glory of like a a view. Like I've I've been to Glacier National Park. I went there my sophomore year of, of college. I went to Glacier National Park. I could try to describe it to you. I could show you a picture of it. But until you're like there and you smell that air and you see the snow, we went to Avalanche Lake. And as I was standing there, I go, why do they call this Avalanche Lake? Like in the distance, and there's an avalanche down a mountain of these sheer, just giant plates of ice and snow and then just flow into the lake. And as we stood there, it took like like an hour, and then you see these ripples of the avalanche that I mean, I can describe it, but I promise you, you don't know the glory of that. And then this is what struck me right in that moment is, and this is broken. And this is the fallen creation. This isn't even the perfect creation. So I can try to describe it. I can try to describe like an aroma. Or you can try to describe a song. Have you heard this song? No, I haven't. Oh, it's great. It goes like, um, and then there's this line about, and I guess you'd have to hear it. Hold on, I think I have it on my phone. And then you get it up on the little speaker and then you put the little speaker up to someone's ear. And they're like, oh, cool, thank you. <laughs> you, you can't convince them of the glory of that with just a, a pitiful description, right? Every description falls short. Right? When 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 I would implore my children, my youth group children to like savor the relationship you are going to have with your husband, with your wife someday. I'm telling you, I, I'm, I'm I'm speaking to you from my heart to yours. Savor it look forward to it, anticipate it, save yourself for the glory of that relationship, to be united as one with someone else. Like, But really, it has to be tasted. It has to be felt. It has to be seen. It has to be taken in. It has to be heard. And what Jesus is describing here with this amazing and, right, this amazing and, and loved them even as you loved me. What is Jesus saying? Jesus wants us to experience the glory of being loved by the Father. He wants us to experience, first him, not hear what life could be like if you believed that God really loved you. That's not what He's talking about. He's not talking about a statement that is true. Remember, he's talking about this is truth. He wants us to experience the truth that we are loved by the Father. Jesus wants us to experience the glory of being loved by and united in the Father. And we do not understand exactly what Jesus has asked for. We can't grasp it. Jesus is asking his Father that he would love us the same way that the Father loves Jesus. Jesus is saying, I have known your love. I have known what it means to abide in you, Father, for all of eternity. That's what I want these people to experience for themselves. I want these people, I want my disciples to experience the glory that can only be understood, only really be known, only really can be experienced in your presence. That is what I want. Jesus, Jesus, doesn't, Jesus just want, He doesn't want to just not send you to hell. Right? Jesus doesn't want you just to be right about the things that are true about God. Jesus is not saying, would you please believe this list of facts about me so that you can use your get out of hell free card and, and not have to suffer for all of eternity. Jesus is saying, Father, I want them to know the glory of being loved by you. They've tasted and they've seen and they've experienced firsthand what it means to be loved by the world. And I mean, it's just blasphemy to even use the word love in that sentence. Jesus is saying, I want them. I'm asking that they would be loved by you the way you love me. It's, It's unfathomable. When we have something precious, when we have something valuable... What is our tendency? What do we want to do with it? Even if it's a bag of M&M's and my little vultures come swooping out of nowhere. Even if it's watching just a little silly funny video on my phone and it's like, oh, get out of here. What are you doing? Right? Because it's yours. Right? It's yours. You have it. You don't want to share it. Right? You get nervous when you, when you divide the available slices of cake with the number of people. That present. I mean, that's just our life. You're just looking at your cake and you're not wanting anybody else to take any more than their fair share, right? And then we might get mad. Somebody else needs to redistribute the cake because I got to have enough, right? So who has more than Christ himself? And what, what, what more precious commodity could Jesus have than the love he knows From the Father. And what Jesus is saying is, I don't want to keep this for myself. Please, Father, share it with these, and not just these, but everyone who will come to believe in me through their word and through their testimony. Every single disciple of mine, I want them to know the love that you have for me. We will spend the rest of our life here on earth contemplating the gravity of that one desire of Jesus. Verse 24 says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. It's not just enough for Jesus for us to experience the love of the Father. Jesus wants us to experience the love that he has for us. Jesus doesn't want us just to experience that, you know, just between the Father and us, loving relationship. He wants us to be brought into a family, right? He wants us to be brought into this family. He wants us to be with Him. I mean, what? I mean, what? I mean, what? what better desire do you have as as a parent, or when you think about your loved ones that are scattered throughout the, you know, the country? Like, what, what are you? What are you looking forward to? Like, yes, my parents spent a terrible amount of money for us to go to the beach and put puzzles together. But, like, what are they really desiring? Not to put puzzles together, but just for us to be together. Right? That's what they care about. That's what their desire is. That's what Jesus' desire is. Father, can we please be a family? You think about the heart cry of children of broken homes. What is their cry? I just want to be together as a family just want to be together as a family that's what Jesus is saying he just wants us to be together as a family distant love is not enough for Jesus he wants us to be together with him it's like he knows what that's going to be like for us because he's experienced it right he's had an eternity to experience what that's like He knows how awesome it is, and he is dying to. He he died to share that glory with us. A couple weeks ago, um, Ella had a birthday party, and she had a bunch of crazy girls come over and hang out and everything. And, and it was, we had a little thing. We went to a thing and did a thing and then came back to our house. And it was after, like, technically the bedtime for the children. And so Fisher was already tucked away in his little cave out in the garage. And little girls were already asleep. And, I mean, sure enough, he's my son. So he heard the siren song of pretty girls in the living room and came along. What's going on in here? And, yeah. um, and like, check the first thing he wanted to do is show them his room. Now, he's nine. These are teenage girls. You know, you're you're tempted to go, oh, goodness. Oh, my (laughs) God. Right? I even know how messy it is out there. But he, like, he wasn't going to be satisfied until he showed them. Like, I have got to show you this. This is awesome. Can you believe it? My father made me a bed that's built into the wall. You've got to see this. And, of course, what does that do for me, the, the father who crafted it? I mean, I, I'm, I'm taking pride in my son and looking at his awesome, beautiful, sweet heart, wanting to share. You've got to see this. you, 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 gotta, you just got to see this. Okay, it's a bed built in the wall. I don't quite get it. See it, right? See to understand. That's what, his, that's what Jesus is saying. I, cannot, I am God. I am God and I cannot describe to you the glory that is the presence of this eternal, holy family. you just got to see it. Father, they've just got to see it. I've tried to describe it. I've tried to show it. I've done miracles. I've fed them. I've healed them. And it just doesn't cut it. They've got to see it. Father, could they come over, please? They've got to come over so that where we are, they could be. You know what? Let's adopt them. You know what? You know what? You know what? They could just be my brothers and sisters. You could just love them the way that you love me. And we could all be together. Father, I've experienced the brokenness of this world. It almost defies description. But I've experienced for eternity what we created these for. Can it be now? Can we do this now? Can we be together now? Can we be united now? Can we abide with one another now? I I just... They've got to see it. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. This is heartbreak on Jesus' part. It's heartbreak on his part. Jesus says... um, Elsewhere in, in Matthew twenty three thirty seven, as he's overlooking Jerusalem, right? The, I mean, the crowning city of God's people here on earth. And he's overlooking Jerusalem and he, and, he, and he cries. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, I would gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you will not believe. So he's crying out to his father now and he's saying, The world, father, they're just not going to believe. He's not happy about this. He drives no pleasure in this. He drives no pleasure in knowing what is going to happen to those who will not believe, who would not believe. And he's heartbroken over this. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you are not willing. Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name And I will continue to make it known. Jesus is saying, I did it. I I accomplished what you sent me here to do. I made known to them your name. He's saying that his... Because, I mean, he's omnipotent. He knows what's going to happen in the coming days. He knows that he's going to the cross. He knows that he's going to be tortured. He knows that he's going to suffer. He knows that he is going to die for our sins. He can speak about it in the present tense. Because it's just as true. As though it's already happened. He, He can declare that his job, his mission, his task is accomplished here on earth. And what was, Jesus is telling us, what was the ultimate completed purpose of Christ? It's not morals, it's not miracles, it's not fans, it's not gathering fans. He would always run away from a crowd of fans. He didn't come here just to, just to, 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 to show us a, a good plan, to live a better, more full, more productive life, a more satisfying, happier life. That's not why he came. He didn't come to give us lovely presents. And who among us doesn't love lovely presents? And I know, guys, I'm using the word lovely loosely awesome. (laughs) Trinkets. A little bit of health here, a little bit of wealth there. He loves to provide for us just like fathers love to provide for his children. But his ultimate purpose is two words. And this is what brought me to tears in Starbucks. Says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus' purpose is loving presence. That's, that's his ultimate purpose, that's why he came. For us to experience the loving presence of the Father. So, the question I'm asking at the end of this series. Why be a disciple of Jesus? To be with Him. Simple as that. Why be a disciple of Christ? So you can be with Him. If you want to be with him, then Jesus' prayer has been answered in you. Praise God. Now let's us pray to him.